InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. We all have habits, good and bad. But as you're about to hear, adding just a few good habits can truly be life-changing. With the story, here's InfoTrack's Roy Mackey. Roy? Thanks, Chris. Our guest is Charles Duhigg, investigative reporter for the New York Times and author of the book, The Power of Habit, Why We Do What We Do in Life and Business. Charles, welcome to InfoTrack. Thanks so much for having me. When we think about habits, I think most of us think about things like smoking or exercise. But habits have so many effects in so many aspects of our lives. Let's start there, Charles. There's a lot of scientific research into habits and how they affect things we don't even realize. That's exactly right. And in the last decade, our understanding of habits has essentially been transformed, particularly by studies in the neurology of habit formation. One of the things that we've learned is that about 40 to 45% of the actions we take every day aren't in fact sort of these free decisions, but are habits, these almost automatic behaviors that happen in a sense without us even realizing what's completely going on. And I would think that probably has some effect on the difficulty in changing habits because we don't even realize they're going on. That's exactly right. Your brain kind of disengages when a habit takes over. And so as a result, you lose a little bit of control over that behavior. But what we've learned is that every habit sort of works the same way. There's three basic components to a habit. There's a cue, which is like a trigger for the behavior to start. And then a routine, which is the behavior itself. And then finally, a reward, which is how your brain learns to remember that pattern for the future. And for years, people focused on the routine, the behavior. But what we've learned from experience in the last decade is that it's really the cue and the reward that shape and influence our habits, and that's how you can start to change them. Can you give us an example of how a reward can shape a habit? Let's take exercise, because that's a habit that a lot of people want to start. All right. There was a study that was done a couple of years ago that was looking at how to create exercise habits. And what they found was that the best way to do it was, first of all, to get people to choose a cue to trigger that behavior. So going running at the same time every day or putting your workout clothes next to your bed so you see them when you wake up. But equally what they found was that when people came home from running or from that workout, it was really helpful if they ate a small piece of chocolate. Now, for most of us, that's counterintuitive because the whole reason we're exercising is to try and lose weight. But what's happening is that even though you think you might want to exercise, your brain at first basically thinks you're kind of a liar, (laughs) that you don't actually like working out. And so you need to give yourself a small reward at the end of that exercise routine in order to get your brain to make a link between exercise and something it enjoys, a reward that it actually appreciates. And what we found from studies is that, you know, within two months or so, people on their own will stop eating that chocolate. They'll learn to appreciate the rewards or recognize the rewards inherent in exercise itself. But at first, giving yourself that small reward and choosing a cue is much more likely to help you create that habit. One of the interesting things you write about is how companies predict our habits as consumers in advance and sometimes even manipulate them. Yeah, it's really interesting, and this is a huge field of research for corporations. One of the most obvious examples of this is anytime anyone goes into the grocery market, I think it's pretty common, you walk through the front doors, you get your cart, and the first thing you see is the produce, right? The tomatoes and the lettuce. And if you think about it, that actually doesn't make any sense because if you put the tomatoes at the bottom of your cart, they're going to get squished by everything else as you walk through the supermarket. 
So why is all this produce at the front of the store? It's because grocers know your habits. They know that if you start your shopping trip by picking up fruits and vegetables, then by the time you pass the cookie aisle, you're much more likely to just automatically, habitually reach out and grab a packet of cookies and put it in your cart. That's why they put the produce there. Similarly, you know, Target, the store Target, has one of the largest sort of habit study groups in corporate America. And they are so sophisticated at analyzing data about shoppers' habits that they, for instance, can tell for a number of shoppers if a woman is pregnant, even if she hasn't told the store, or in some cases I discovered, hasn't told her family. Because when you become pregnant or when you're buying a house or when you're going to school or when you're getting married or getting a divorce, your shopping habits change in these kind of predictable ways that give stores the ability to have this insight into our lives if they pay close enough attention. Similarly, they also try and take advantage of what they know about you. So when you go and you check out at Target or another store, they print up all those coupons. If you'll look closely, a lot of those coupons will be designed specifically for what they believe your habits to be. They might, for instance, say, here's a free Starbucks the next time you come in, or here's some free diapers, or here's some free Cheerios and milk. They have very sophisticated models that try and model your habits and then use that information to infer what kinds of rewards will be most persuasive to you. Our guest on InfoTrack is Charles Duhigg, investigative reporter for the New York Times and author of the book, The Power of Habit, Why We Do What We Do in Life and Business. Charles, one of the terms you use in your book is keystone habits. What is a keystone habit? Yeah. One of the things that we've learned is that some habits matter more than others because when they start to change, they set off a chain reaction in people's lives or in companies for that matter. One of the best examples of this is exercise. You know, keystone habits differ from person to person and company to company. But exercise for a lot of people is a keystone habit. And what we know from studies is that when people start exercising habitually, what they start eating changes, their dining habits change. And that makes sense, right? Because you start exercising, you feel good about yourself, you want to eat more healthily. But what's interesting is that according to these same studies, when people start exercising habitually, their credit card usage also starts to change. They stop using credit cards quite so much. They'll oftentimes start doing their dishes earlier in the day and being more productive at work. Now, obviously, going for a run in the morning has nothing to do with how you use your credit card. And yet, what's happening is that for a lot of people, exercise is a keystone habit. When that habit starts to change, it sets off this chain reaction that influences other habits as well. Similarly, we know that the same thing can happen inside of companies. One of the chapters in the book focuses on Paul O'Neill at Alcoa. Before Paul O'Neill became Treasury Secretary, he was one of the most successful CEOs in America at Alcoa, which was then the largest aluminum company on earth. And what's interesting is that when Paul O'Neill came into Alcoa and took over, he didn't say he wanted to focus on profits and efficiency or productivity. What he said is that he wanted to change worker safety habits. Because he knew that for Alcoa, worker safety was a keystone habit. If he could dislodge those patterns, it would change the entire culture of Alcoa. And sure enough, by choosing that as his priority, within two years, Alcoa was the top performer in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. In the course of writing this book and doing the research, what habits changed in your life? A lot of them. Throughout the process of writing this book, I uh, actually like lost 30 pounds, and the way I structure my day was completely changed. I started exercising a lot more, eating a lot more healthily. One of the really important and nice things about this is 
once you learn how habits work, it's like someone gives you these glasses and all of a sudden you can see the world in a different way. And it's completely true. There's all these parts of my life and I think of other people's lives that we want to change and it's hard to understand why we can't. And once people explain how habits work, it gives you this insight into your own behaviors. It's really powerful. Fascinating topic. Charles Duhigg, investigative reporter for the New York Times and author of the book, The Power of Habit, Why We Do What We Do in Life and Business. Charles, do you have a website where people can learn more? I do, yeah. It's thepowerofhabit.com. Well, thank you very much for joining us on InfoTrack. Thank you for having me. And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. You're listening to InfoTrack, a production of Syndication Networks of Chicago. To learn more about our guests or listen to past shows, visit InfoTrack online at TalkZone.com.